It's Monday the 8th of July 2019. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by Pontus Jarvstad, a PhD student in history, and by Anna Marsivil-Klausen, culture and news broadcaster here at RUV. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very well. I did mispronounce your surname. No, it was perfect. Okay. It was perfect. Well, with half the country away on holiday, the quiet summer news period is definitely upon us. They call it the Gurkutith, or cucumber period. Not quite sure why. Saying that, it might not be that bad, because this week has seen plenty of action going on. Uh, the biggest talking point of the week is the proce- the processing and possible deportation of refugee children and the laws surrounding their treatment. Vatnajökull National Park was expanded and, in an entirely separate news story, it also became Iceland's third UNESCO World Heritage Site. We're expecting a likely Jökullhlaup, or glacial flood, on the Múlakvist River in South Iceland. The Vestmanaer archipelago are in the news for five different reasons. Uh, that is that the re- retired performing whales are settling in well, the new ferry is still causing delays, it's 100 years since the town was officially recognised as a trading post, and it's also the 46th anniversary of the end of its famous volcanic eruption. Then there's also the fact that the islands seem to be bucking the national tourism trend and having a very profitable summer so far. There was the news that all the bosses of the 16 companies on the Icelandic Stock Exchange Premium Index are men. And Skolavöðustígur has been named as this year's Rainbow Street, but this time the colours are not going to be removed at the end of Pride, which will see Reykjavik join the likes of Paris, Toronto, San Francisco and many other cities with permanent rainbows. So, where should we begin? Well, we can start right there, I think. Uh I'm so excited by that. I'm so excited for Skolovrstiur to be turned into a rainbow street. Mm. People have been calling for this for years, ever since they uh, they painted it in the rainbow colors for the very first time. D- just to jump in there, was that your favorite location so far for yes, the rainbow? Definitely, because it's so wonderful seeing how the rainbow stretches up towards uh, Hallgrimskirkja Church. It's very photogenic. So much more exciting for uh, tourists and others to take take pictures on than, say, in by the lobby of the uh, of the Rauthus. How do you say that? City hall. The city mm. hall, exactly. Yeah. So you know, that's uh, yeah. I think that's that's very exciting. It's something that people have been quite excited about. I do think that Icelanders, uh, you know, we we often say that we are a very progressive nation. In, in terms of LGBT issues, and, and we have been, although we are lagging behind specifically uh, for trans people and, uh, and now for intersex as well, um, I think it's very important for visual reminders of the idea of equality and freedom for all. And, and, I, and I think it, it serves to give a, you know, reinforce that feeling that we are that country that wants to be equal. And uh, it's also a clear marker to our guests. We have so many more guests now than we than we used to have. And, and we don't want to change our values, be, you know, just because we have more people coming in. Mm. We, you know, we want to reinforce those values. And maybe by having that visual aid, we stimulate conversation. I think it's wonderful. Conversation starter. Um, definitely, I I don't think I have much to add. Um, 
but I, I don't know. It, it sometimes seems whatever happens downtown these days are more made for tourists than than people living here. But I mean, this is obviously still a very positive uh, step in you know progressive development in Iceland to make these issues and LGBTQ struggle more visible, like in a symbolic sense as well. Um, and just I think I think it goes to all social movements to make the struggles of social movements visible in one way or another in the public space is always positive. But uh, I don't know for a person living here for such a long time and hardly going downtown anymore. I, it's just uh, it's also a mixed bag of feelings, I guess. But I don't know. <laughs> oh, we should get more rainbow streets. Yes, put, that would be nice. Yeah, put one in Breithold. Put one somewhere in Morselspeir, you know, like let's have them all over. I agree. And there are a few, I think, in yeah. the in the countryside, actually. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's just... Uh, say this further. Say this further, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I just, I just, um, I cannot picture myself in the future having conversations with tourists about <laughs> Iceland not being the paradise that they perceive through their advertisement and the symbolic symbolism of downtown Reykjavik. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yes, of course, I shouldn't <laughs> be too pessimistic. <laughs> Does um, social political messages have a place in city planning like this, more generally? I believe they do. I believe we we always send those messages whether we intend to or not. When we raise statues of, of famous men that have impacted our community, we're sending a message. And uh, by raising monuments to more men than women, you know, we, we, we send a certain message. And, and, you know, it's not just talking about what our history is, it's talking about what the world is. And, you know, so we send messages and that's why... We now have a bigger push for uh, statues of of women in in our history, women whose accomplishments have gone unrewarded, um, and and I think this is a way rather than you know raising a statue of a person, we are you know putting down a monument to the people who have come before and the people of the future. And I think that's important. We do that. We do this. We, you know, we we put. I don't. I don't think the rainbow flag should be a particularly political message. I think it is, you know, just a, a beautiful, wonderful thing. But I know that many people see it as political, and I, I guess you can't avoid politics in city planning or or in life at all. Mm. It's always going to be there, and and. You know, you just have to pick and choose what you want the future to look like. And I think this is this is what we as Icelanders, I think the majority of Icelanders, want Iceland to be an inclusive world, um, an inclusive space. We are not the paradise that people think we are. Definitely not. It's so annoying to tell tourists <laughs> who come here thinking we have it all figured out. But I... Uh, yeah, I, I I think it's I think it's important. Mm. And central Reykjavik has got this colourful reputation anyway. All the houses are <laughs> multicoloured and things. It kind of fits, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have uh, I have nothing bad to say about it, and I don't want to sound like the Grinch at all. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it's also interesting to to think about these issues though in a critical light. You know that that a movement for the LGBTQ movement that used to be very controversial and very in conflict with mainstream society now is more in the mainstream 
than we have ever seen before, uh, mm-hmm. which is obviously only like a positive thing. But then we should also maybe ask ourselves what kind of social movements and what kind of political dissent is not in the mainstream and is still contentious. Um, I think it's important to continuously push the envelope. And like you mentioned, obviously, you know, issues, trans issues uh, and uh, intersex issues are still very much, um, you know, still a lot to do in in, in those fields. Definitely. But, and mm. it should be said that LGBT issues are being commercialized, right? You know, they're being used uh, to serve capitalism rather than to um, kind of... Uh, for the, for the fight to to live to you know to love to be yourself and and all of that is it has uh, taken a step away from what it used to be uh, there was an event recently in Iceland uh, where they it was titled the first pride i can't remember it was the first pride was a was a fight was a revolution or something like that because the first pride wasn't a celebration It was a fight to stay alive. The Stonewall riots. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's what it was. The first pride was a riot. Mm. Yes. So I had a little, little double entendre there, um, and I think that we see this in Iceland as well with the Pride Parade, which is the most popular event in downtown Iceland by far. Nobody yeah. goes to the you know 17th of June parade compared to how many people go and see the Pride Parade, mm-hmm. and so people have wanted to make it more family oriented people say this is a time for families and but that means that people also want to exclude the um, uh, the BDSM society who want to let their freak flag fly um, yeah. you know like so to say um just like the people did before them the the gays the lesbians the bisexuals the trans who wanted to recognize that you know whatever they enjoy whoever they identify as is should be acceptable and um and this has caused a lot of controversy in iceland should the bdsm movement be a part of the lgbt mu- movement um and i think there were several members of the lgbt movement that kind of ducked out of uh the actual organization the lgbt organization because of it and uh and but their their reasoning is i don't care what people do in their bedrooms right and that's exactly what gay men are told or were told specifically you know i don't care what these gay people do they should just keep it in their bedrooms not in the streets and i think this conversation is exciting and um if this particular street is a capitalist move i don't know but i think you know Even if it is, it does serve a purpose because it does, you know, continue this conversation. Yeah. Maybe the conversation of is this good? Is this a capitalist move? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's wonderful. I think we should probably move on. Probably we, we could we could <laughs> cover the whole show with this one topic, but Definitely. we shouldn't. Um, what should we talk about next? I think child deportations is far most important of this topic of these definitely uh, it's been raking in the column inches everyone's talking about it yeah because i mean it's been going on for such a long time as well it's not really news if you think about it um, i think it was 2015 there was this case with albanian kids getting deported an albanian child with a heart problem that you know it was a matter of life or death if he was able to get uh, healthcare services that he needed in Iceland. 
and then mm, different cases of uh, families from Africa being, you know, split up and the father deported and then kids and their families being deported and then kids being born in Iceland being deported, even though it goes against the law. I mean, it's been going on for such a long time. So, And we saw this huge demonstration now, I think it was on Thursday, um, which was really impressive. I've gone to so many refugee solidarity uh, demonstrations in Iceland. I think this was the far biggest historically. Uh, so, yeah. How how can this still be going on? Isn't shouldn't the law be very black and white? Either this is acceptable or it's not. Why is there such a big grey area? Do you think in the middle? There's a loophole. Yeah, I mean, it all com- basically uh, in a way it all comes down to the Dublin regulation. So because of the Dublin regulation, the refugees coming into Europe um, are you know they are processed in the first country. They are processed. Uh, it's called their fingerprint country. So. If they, which is usually Greece or Italy or countries like that, and if they then move on to another country, they most often will be sent back to their original fingerprint country uh, to be processed there. Um, and this means basically that refugees in Europe don't have any uh, human rights, uh, for example, in Iceland, because they are being denied basic human rights and basic uh, refugee human rights in Iceland. Because Iceland is never going to be anybody's first fingerprint country. Exactly. It's never going to be. And so that's why I say it's a loophole, right? Yeah. The Dublin regulation is just a ridiculous standard to hold ourselves to. And the politicians use it. And Utlindikastopnen. Uh, how do we say Utlindikastopnen in English? The Directorate of Immigration. Thank you. They're using it as if they have to use it. They don't. Is this regulation... Uh, concerns the countries that are the fingerprint countries in terms of what they have to do. We don't have to be sending these people back. It's a loophole. We use it. And it's it's remarkable you're saying this. Yes, we have had so many of these cases pop up to the surface where people go out and demonstrate. And this, uh, this case of Sainab Safari and her mother, her little brother, and then um, there's a father as well, I believe, an Afghani father, and his son. Two sons. Yeah. yeah. These cases, they are remarkable because they pop to the surface and they make us think that, oh my God, they're deporting children. There have actually been 75 children deported already this year. We don't hear about them. And I think that's the, to me, seeing that in the news, that was the most remarkable part. Yeah. Because it seems so easy to do. Yeah. And it's so strange because there doesn't seem to be any reason for us to do this. No. It's also interesting to think about that uh, um, the humanity of children seems to be undeniable. So, for example, I mean, the uh, refugee solidarity protests have been going on for a very long time. And just recently, this uh, winter and spring, uh, refugees were uh, camping and occupying uh, outside the parliament, demanding uh, five (coughs) demands. And I can just quickly go over them. Uh, Just no more deportations to Italy and Greece because of the situation there. A substantial review, uh, especially of those um, negative responses they got in their fingerprint countries, to so to to review these uh, applications again, to have a work permit for uh, refugees while they're staying here, and uh, to equal access to healthcare and uh, to close down the refugee camp called Ausbrug because it's so inhumane, and these I mean these demands are 
are are you know out there and and they're very clear to see why why these refugees are making these demands but when it comes to elderly refugees or adult refugees their humanity is more easily to deny it seems and and then when we, we see children in danger it's you know it brings a lot of attention to the issue which is important um, and you know it's one shouldn't uh, one shouldn't you know uh, give up this opportunity but we should also see the bigger picture of what needs to be done for the for the human rights of refugees in Iceland I think so do you think there's a risk that the the the, the rights of adult refugees are at risk of getting worse because all the attention is being put on children? Um, perhaps not. Uh, it's hard to say, but perhaps forgotten. We saw this quick fix uh, just this week of uh, allowing a shorter time period where uh, children can be processed again in Iceland for a permit to stay. Uh, and this is a quick fix to fix this special I- issue to kind of calm down the protests and the discontent in society. While there's more systemic and structural problems that really <coughs> need to be dealt with, um, the president of Red Cross said that there's uh, in no way will this quick fix stop deportations to Greece of children. It's just this specific period, so it's very technical. And then we saw a very damning expose from. Uh, previous uh, law uh, uh, <laughs> from a previous lawyer who worked in uh, UTL. Uh, he was Forstadmaður which I'm not sure what that is, but uh, in English. But he... Uh, he Head w- of the permit mm. something. Yeah, he was in Stunden the other day, uh, this week, and uh, he talked basically that uh, the new 2016 uh, refugee laws that were supposed to be more liberal actually was a Trojan horse to get UTL to be more easily deport people um, mm. because they can do it more independently now uh, of themselves. They don't get as much interference from the interior ministry. And also how you just UTL systemically and structurally makes it hard for uh, people to apply, uh, not only refugees but immigrants as well, even within the European Union zone. So uh, there's so much to uh, to uh, think about when it comes here, but the issue is definitely bigger than this quick fix of the law that we saw. And what's the um, any backlash that you've been aware with in in certain sectors of society? Is there anybody out there publicly saying that? this is right, the current government situation and that we should be deporting more people? Or is it the support Pl- quite broad? Pl- plenty. I think I think, I think, think the support for children staying in the country is quite broad. Mm. Although there is still plenty of people who do not think so, who do not want immigrations from certain countries uh, in Iceland, do not want refugees. Um and you know we do we do see that there was this moment back in um, when the financial crash happened uh, back in two thousand eight, where fa- Facebook was just becoming a thing, and the um, comment uh, sections of the uh, of the newspapers was also becoming a thing. Where I remember having this moment where I realized exactly the thing we were talking about earlier. Oh wait. Iceland isn't as inclusive as I thought they were earlier. Iceland isn't as um, kind of 
peaceful as I thought it was. Icelanders actually do, just as other nations, have a lot of hate that they, you know, like to throw at other people. And um, we saw this around, we saw this around the, um, around the crash, mainly aimed towards the people who, uh, who were taking the blame for the crash. In some cases, you know, definitely deserved. Some cases, not so much. Some cases, it just went too far. And mm. now we see these comment sections filled up with people who hate foreigners not any foreigners mind you and um some i think and i think the the basic icelandic person who doesn't recognize their own racism is a person who likes black people brown people people of color if they speak perfect icelandic or perfect english so black americans fine africans not fine and and I do think that we do see that there are more people who feel that way than than maybe before, because we haven't had to deal with this problem of immigration before in the same way. We haven't had refugees coming here in the same way. We haven't had um, we haven't been so aware of people of other ethnicities and of um, other identities. So I do think that a lot of people would take refugees from Christian countries and be fine with it. But because these children are Muslim, there are some who don't see them as having the same right. Mm. Uh, and I do think that Iceland has a hard time facing its uh, somewhat racist past, where we actually sent away sent away Jews. I don't think we learn we don't learn about that in school. I did not know until I was grown that we had actually sent away. Jews before the and before and during the Second World War, and to me, this again, I don't feel like this should be a political issue. This is a very clear-cut issue where we gain, our society gains a lot from allowing these people to stay in the country. <clears throat> it's it's been it's been researched pretty thoroughly that um, that immigrants that refugees. Uh, pay back many times over what is paid for getting them into the country, for helping them out in the first years. And they do so in tax money. These are industrious people. They have fled wars. They have managed to get all the way to Iceland. You know, mm. who knows what else they can do, right? Yeah. And even if it wasn't that, just the sheer humanity of not yeah. letting a child stay in a safe place where we know that they can get the help that they couldn't get in Greece, even though, as the ombudsman for children uh, stated this morning, I believe, on roof, she was very surprised that they're being sent back to Greece. Mm. Even if they don't hold that they have been awarded protection in Greece, it's, it's still not a good place. It's still not... The conditions there are still not good. And... How long has she been? How long has Sina been in school here? She has a community. She has such a huge community that they will come out the entire school and support her. It's her it's case baffling. specifically has been going on for a long time. I mean, it yeah. was back in February, I think it was in the news, right? And and the deportation was imminent then. Uh, so the stress on her and her family for this uncertain period, that alone is 
worth talking about, isn't it? That's, yeah. How can a, how can children or anybody go through that level of uncertainty and stress for such a long period of time? It's not yeah. not fair, is it? Mm-hmm. And she came to Europe, I believe, when she was ten years old or so. So I mean, it's been years and years of this. And she's now fifteen yeah. or fourteen, fifteen. Mm. Yeah, to think about it, you know, to begin, and the, you know, I mean, the the horrors didn't start then. I mean, she fled from her country, and mm-hmm. and it's uh, yeah, I think. It, in terms of the humanity, you know, what kind of society do we do we want? Do we want a humane society, or do we want to, you know, do we want to have a society that puts people in danger and and denies people, um, you know, refuge, those seeking refuge, basic uh, human rights, basic human rights, um, and there is there is definitely a historical background to this, like you were mentioning with the with the Jews being deported. From Iceland, and it seems to be a continuity, like a red, uh, red line going through history, where where um, there's structural uh, forces working to keep people out from Iceland, uh, especially people who are deemed uh, different. Uh, so we saw deportations of Jews during the interwar, and it only start, stopped with the British occupation. But then after the war, we saw um, German women being welcomed to farms in Iceland. So it's it's definitely a question of racial politics. And I think it's, it's still a question of racial politics today. Um, yeah. yeah. We are basically out of time already. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's just um, time for a couple of, a minute or so of, of chat about uh, the short, National Park and the UNESCO World Heritage Site. Because mm-hmm. I think that's been that's been one of the more popular stories of the week that people have been really pleased about. Yeah, that's exciting. Does it mean? It is exciting. It means what does it mean for the National Park? Hopefully it means more funding. Hopefully it means more pre- preservation. Um, that's all I can say. Hopefully, hopefully, mm. hopefully. I was I was just there. I was just in uh, by Vatnajökull this week, um, uh, you know, walking in the midnight sun up to uh, Svartifoss and then uh, looking over the glacier. So Skaftafels Jökull, I believe Skaftafels Jökull glacier. It's it's just gorgeous. It is it is a breathtaking experience. But then, what actually took my breath away during this trip was seeing Jökulsárlón, uh, the glacier lagoon, which doesn't have a whole lot of glaciers in it, you know. So and that and that somehow my very unscientific opinion of that is that seems worrying because I have never seen it as empty before, and that you know tells me that there's they're melting faster. Mm. And that scares me, and that should scare us all. And so, I think this move, hopefully, hopefully it means something. Hopefully, it will help. But yeah, I think it's very positive. I mean, I think the only way to really deal with this climate catastrophe we are facing now is some kind of uh, rewilding of of our world. That we are expanding uh, conservation, but also, you know, trying to make nature more present you know there was a big uh, news this week uh, that the only the only really technical fix that one could imagine for global warming is the planting of trillions of trees <laughs> i don't know if it's possible in iceland but it should definitely be considered the rest of the world 
to uh, to make to make uh, world more wild again and to connect not only humans to each other but other living creatures as well. Perfect. Well, there we go. Another week, another The Week in Iceland. Uh, the programme will return to roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, to the Roof app, and as a podcast, including on Spotify, next Monday afternoon, the 15th of July. For now, it's thanks to my guests, Pontus Javstedt and Anna Marcibel Clausen. We like to finish the show with the number one song on the Raustfurt chart, but this week that is Oether again, so I've decided to play you the number two song instead, which is Teitur Magnusson and Hildur with the song Monika. Bye for now. Sin alt vil jeg, sin fejl til os